Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our special series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, an eight-week journey designed to help you develop a deeply rooted spirituality in Christ. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. There's so much more to your story than what's on the surface. God is calling you to dive deeper, to see how your joys, losses, dreams, and experiences have shaped you. What will the Holy Spirit speak to your soul? through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. All right, what's up, everybody? Hey, happy fall, y'all. Let's give a big welcome to our live locations. Church Online, great to see you guys. I'm Pastor Tim. Hey, today I want to whet your appetite for the next eight weeks as one church we're coming together to go through an eight-week experience called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a discipleship course and it's based on a book by my friend Pete Scazzaro from New Life Fellowship in New York City. And Pete invited me to experience EHS with him online during the pandemic, and it was life-changing for me. Now, I don't say that actually about a lot of things, but I really believe this series has the potential to reignite in you a much deeper passion for Jesus as we go under the iceberg of our lives. That's kind of our metaphor there. And actually slow down for silence, prayer, listen for the Holy Spirit. And this series officially begins next Sunday. So you want to get your books today if you haven't already. There are three books that go along with the course. There is the main book, a workbook, and a daily devotional. And we have them available in the lobby at each campus after today's service. Um, I have gone through these numerous times. Very, a wonderful collection to add to your library. But I also want to encourage you not just get the books, but to sign up for a small group today if you aren't in one yet. Uh, for the next eight weeks, all of our small groups are going to be diving deep into this material reading the book, journaling in the workbook, and then there are these daily devotions to jumpstart your time with the Lord. So let me just encourage you to hop on board today, get your book, sign up for a small group so you can experience this content together with a circle of friends. Now, before I share today's message from the Word of God, we need to celebrate something. Last week, I challenged our entire church. I said, hey, let's begin praying together every day at 10.02. Who's got their prayer bracelet on? You still got it with you? You got it? It says 10.02 on it. In honor of Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where Jesus said, hey, the harvest is what? Plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a gap. And so he said, here's what I want you to do. Ask me, the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, Jesus told his followers to pray for harvest hands, for men, for women, for teens, with a willing heart to roll up their sleeves, step up and serve in the harvest of hungry souls. And uh, I look when I told you, hey, we had a gap, man. Kids and families are returning. We don't have enough harvest hands. And we need new dream teamers at every single campus, just gifted volunteers to step up and serve and liquid family and hospitality and the cafe and media, parking, roadies. But instead of getting up on our feet to serve, we committed we're going to get down on our knees to pray every day at 10.02. Might be in the morning, 10.02 at night, but do what Jesus said. Ask the Lord of the harvest. We've been asking Jesus, send out workers in his harvest field. And so our leadership team is praying this 1002 prayer for the last couple months. And last Sunday, 
Jesus answered our prayers in a big way. Are you ready for the exciting news? Can I get a little drum roll, church? Come on. Uh, since last Sunday, 356 new people volunteered to serve on a dream team. Can we praise Jesus for that? Incredible. Guys, remember where there's vision, God gives the provision. And I am just so proud of you. I want to personally thank each one of you who heard the call in your heart. And you answered Jesus' prayer. Lord, here I am. Send me. I'll go. So thank you so much. You are a blessing to our entire church family. I do want to say this. If you did sign up to serve, your dream team leader should have contacted you this week. You probably got a phone call or a text or an email. Can I just like as your pastor politely ask you, can you reply to them and not ghost our leaders? That would be awesome. Okay, ghosting isn't godly. Okay, if God nudged your heart to serve last week, I'm just telling you, the devil's going to try to talk you out of it. He's going to say, what were you thinking? You're too busy. They got enough people. That whisper is a lie of the enemy trying to distract you from serving like your Savior. Remember this. You are never more like Jesus than when you are serving other people. And I promise you, when you put on that Dream Team t-shirt this fall, you're going to have a lot of fun. You are going to serve alongside some of the finest leaders on the East Coast. And as your pastor, I am just praying that God will bless your family, your marriage, your business, all the things that are important to you as you prioritize what's most important to God. So I want to just take a minute to pray over our new dream team. So you put your hands out. Pray with me, church. Lord Jesus, you are Lord of the harvest, and we praise you. We just thank you, God, for answering our 1002 prayers. Uh, Father, we know the need is great. The harvest of hungry souls in New Jersey is plentiful. But Lord, you're sending your people. And I thank you for the miracle of 356 new harvest hands. I pray for a special blessing on each one of them. Father, as they get onboarded and trained up this week, would you just multiply their time? As they serve in your house, I ask for a double blessing on their homes. Double their joy, Lord. Pour out your favor on their family, their marriages, their children, their business. Let them receive just twice as much as they've freely given, and we'll pray, view praise for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen, amen. All right, well, listen, don't stop praying at 10.02 every day for this church, okay? Our family, we all need, we need everyone's prayers, and we still need more Dream Teamers at every campus and so we're going to pray all the way through Halloween. That's October 31st when our new Princeton campus opens up. Amen? All right. Well, let's dive into God's Word. If you got a Bible, you can hold it up. Some of you are like, oh, I got my phone. That's fine. Open your Bible, your phone, flip to the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 11, kind of get you primed for EHS today. I just want to share a message with you I'm calling Turning Over Tables. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Turn Over My Table. Now look at him and say, are you sure? <laughs> I'm kind of pumped for this message because God turned over a few tables in my life over the last year and really turned over some areas that needed adjustment in my life through this course, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, in which I encountered a Jesus I had never really known before. Uh, the truth is, I think a lot of Christians, especially in America, have a watered-down vision of Jesus in their minds. I'll show you. Close your eyes for just a minute. When I say Jesus, okay, do you see him? What do you see when you picture Jesus in your mind? Because I think a lot of us envision a kind of a meek and mild hippie Jesus, right? He's kind of wearing Birkenstocks, maybe like a choir robe or something. He's probably got long hair and blue eyes. Maybe he's carrying a little lamb in his arms. <laughs> you can open your eyes. That vision of Jesus that a lot of Americans have is a buddy Jesus who is always rooting for my success all the time. Doesn't really ask much of me. And in this watered-down version, Jesus, understand, forgives my sins 
he punches my ticket to heaven and then basically makes my life just better and more successful through blessings and miracles. There's really not much room for sacrifice or asking us to surrender anything to him. But in this passage in Mark 11, kind of throws a grenade and explodes that one-dimensional portrait of Jesus. This passage is shocking. It is emotional. There's anger. There's intensity. There's jealousy. There's passion radiating from our Lord. And I prayed this week that this is going to overturn some of your tables in your heart and reawaken you to the real Jesus. Let's read it together. Mark 11, starting at verse 15, it says this. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and he wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written... My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Verse 18. Well, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill Jesus. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. A little background of this story. In Bible times, the temple in Jerusalem was the center of religious life. You can see a recreation of it here. It was a magnificent building. The temple dominates the skyline of Jerusalem. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And in the Old Testament, the temple, understand, this was seen as the very dwelling place of God, the presence of God. This is the house God built for himself. He said, I'll make a dwelling among my people so I can, I can have a personal relationship with them. This is heaven touching earth. My people can come and meet with me in my house, the temple. And so Jewish people would go to temple much like Christians go to church. They'd go there to confess their sins or make sacrifices and worship God. And the temple was a center of Jewish life. But over time, it also became the center for business. Because if you wanted to like start a business or sell stuff, you went to the temple because like everybody was there. And over time, all sorts of stuff started happening in the temple that uh, kind of got in the way of its main purpose, you know? The purpose was to connect people to the heart of their living God. And so by the time Jesus steps foot in the temple, it's corrupted. It was polluted. There are a lot of things getting in the way of people who are trying to meet with the Lord. Now, Scripture says Jesus was in Jerusalem for Passover. You guys know what Passover is? It's the Jewish holiday or holy day that celebrates the Exodus, right, where God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. So I want you to imagine the scene this temple is packed with people. There are thousands of pilgrims all over the world are swarming Jerusalem for Passover. Think of Disney World during Teachers Convention. You know what I'm talking about? Okay? Thousands of people streaming into the huge outer court, the court of the Gentiles. And you didn't have to be Jewish to go there. Anybody could go there and meet with God. In fact, the lame, the blind, the lepers, anybody. So this place is packed with people, poor, broken people trying to meet with God. But because it's Passover... People are buying live animals to sacrifice for worship. Because at Passover, everyone has to make a sacrifice. John said this. He said, this is in all four Gospels, by the way, this passage. So it's very important. In the temple courts, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So I want you to imagine with me that today there's cows in, in the church right now, right? Like, can you imagine if it's like, hey, it's bring your cow to church Sunday, okay? And as I'm preaching up here, all the cows are kind of like walking all over, right? 
and you know, they're, the worship team's going in there, and then sheep, and there's, there's doves flittering and flying and crapping all over the place. That's what's happening in the temple. The place is literally a zoo. It was not a sanctuary. It's not a place of solitude. It's not silence or, or, or contemplation. It's loud. It's noisy. It's cluttered. One scholar says that in one week of Passover, they would slaughter 225,000 lambs alone. That's a lot of squealing. It's a lot of blood spilling all over. But that's not the only thing. In the middle of it, Scripture says, oh, this is good. In the middle of it, money changers have set up these tables, and they're doing business with people. They're saying, hey, two shekels, three shekels right here. How many doves do you want? They're buying and selling, and they're exchanging money. Why? Because there's a hitch. If you came to Jerusalem and you're from out of town, man, most likely you brought a Roman coin. And this thing has Caesar's face on it. And you can't use that to buy animals in the temple. So you got to exchange your coins for good old Jewish shekels, okay? So people are haggling. They're doing business. They're negotiating back and forth. And they're saying, how, how much do I have to pay to sacrifice for my sins? And the money changers would jack up the exchange rate. Have you like ever been to a foreign country where they don't take dollars? You know, they don't take American dollars. Like, you got no options, right? And so you go to one of those exchange booths, and they, like, totally gouge you. They're like, okay, $10, I'll give you six francs. Here you go. Gotcha, you know? The money changers are jacking up the rates, and they're ripping God's people off. They're like, okay, hey, here we go. Okay, over here, over here, Danielle. We're in the Holy Land. This land, this land is marked up 25%. Sorry, I got to charge you double for the doves, okay? Listen, you can't get them anywhere else. These are holy doves. I'm telling you, the temple was big business. And it was corrupt. I want you to think about this. Poor people who came to commune with their God, hurting people who came to experience his tender touch, are bargaining. Do I have enough money to sacrifice for my sins? And Jesus walks in and sees what's happening, and it triggers him. Verse 15 says, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. So he's, he's clearing out the cows and the sheep. He's like, get out of here, Yeehaw! get out, get out, get out. Imagine the commotion. And then suddenly he sees the money changers. And it says, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he said, not in my father's house. This is not Jesus meek and mild. This is Jesus hot and spicy. <laughs> Jesus is triggered. He has a strong emotional reaction to what's going on in the house. See Bill over there, he's like, easy Tim, I bought a guest with me today. You're scaring him a little bit, okay? I'm sorry, but Jesus is angry. But understand, this is a righteous anger. It's not like when you or I get mad at someone because, you know, can I hurt my feelings? Jesus is angry because he sees these poor, hurting people who are trying to get close to their, their God and they want to experience his love and his forgiveness. And all these, these obstacles are getting in the way. And so Jesus flips over these tables. He says, it's written, my house, what we call the house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Notice he calls it a house of prayer for all nations. It wasn't just for Jewish people. Again, this took place in the court of the Gentiles, which was the gathering place for non-Jews, Gentiles like you and me, foreigners from all over the world. He said, this is a house of prayer for all people, every nation. And it's a house of prayer. What is prayer? Well, I mean, think about it, guys. At its heart, prayer 
It's intimacy. It's loving communion with your Father in heaven. It's personally, relationally connecting with your, your Abba, your Daddy, your Father. It's opening up your heart to receive the affection and grace and love flowing out of his heart. Prayer at its best is alive. It's, it's personal. It's tender. It's, it's divine love touching the heart of hurting humanity. And Jesus is like, this, this temple was supposed to be a place for, for all nations. And, and you guys have turned it into this circus. You turned my sanctuary into a strip mall. It's a dead of robbers and people can't connect with me like this. Notice it says he turned over the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling what? Isn't it interesting that Mark highlights doves? You know why? Because doves are what poor people sacrifice. They actually couldn't afford livestock. So people who are truly poor, like widows or women, those who were disabled, the, the lame, those with lepers, they had to buy doves. So in a righteous rage, Jesus sees these poor people and he's like, you are blocking the way to my father. Can I be honest? <laughs> the intense emotion of this startled me this week because it made me think that's how much Jesus wants to be with me. That he sees a broken person like me and you. He's like, I'm willing to move heaven and earth and clear every obstacle out of the way so I can touch you with my love and my grace and my forgiveness. Guys, think about it. This is how God feels about you. You may not think you're worth much, but Jesus thinks you're everything. And this, this, this shocking passage teaches two things about your God. First, it teaches us Jesus is jealous. He is jealous for the hearts of his people. Luke says Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he saw how helpless and harassed the people were. His, his heart hurt for them. And as he, as he looked around the table, he's like, he, he sees all these distractions in the temple getting in the way. He's like, I made you for a transforming relationship with me. And you're settling for this, this transactional dead religion that pushes your heart further. And it made him jealous. Think about that. Jesus is jealous for you. He will overturn tables to get to you. Do you know what he said in Exodus? He said, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Jesus knew something important. If you don't clear over the tables and get to God something vital and your soul will be lost. Friends, listen to this. Jesus Christ is in hot pursuit of your heart. Jesus is jealous and he's zealous. He looks at your life and he has a zeal. In John's account of this passage, Jesus said, zeal for your house will consume me. What is zeal? Zeal is passion. Zeal, it, it, Jesus wants passionately an intimate relationship of love back and forth with you. But he's like, there's things getting in the way blocking that. Blocking you and me. I want our relationship to go deeper. So in his zeal, he starts flipping over tables and benches, clearing the clutter, all the stuff that's getting in the way of you communing with your creator. Jesus is jealous and Jesus is zealous. Something lit his fuse. Something triggered this intense emotion. And the trigger is God's deep, passionate love for you. For Karen, for Clint, for Nico, God is in hot pursuit of your heart. Can you feel that personally? I hope you can. Can I make this personal, just apply it to your life by asking a very personal question? I just like wonder, I wonder... What tables does Jesus want to overturn in your life this fall? Because here we are, right? It's officially the start of fall. 
start another school and work season. I don't know about you, but I think it's time for Jesus to clean house. <laughs> May clear out some of the distractions and clutter that's crept into our lives over the past 18 months and make some room to rekindle fresh intimacy with God. I wonder what tables does Jesus want to overturn in your life this fall? I want you to think about that for a minute. What would it be for you? For some of us, maybe Jesus wants to overturn the table of idolatry, caring more about our jobs and our money and our, our sports than making room for him. You know, maybe over during the pandemic, you lost something. You lost a job. You lost a relationship. And suddenly the table flipped, and now you're lost. That's the scary thing about idols. You never know it's an idol until you lose it. How about, how about turning over the table of politics? You talk about that? Like, what do we put in the way of people now who are trying to get to God? How about politics? So often the church, we actually block people from drawing close to Jesus by putting this table of this politics in front of them. Hey, are you, most Christians are, are Republican. Are you Republican? Are you a conservative? Well, no, Jesus he was, was progressive. He cared for poor people. You've got to be progressive. Politics is an obstacle to faith for a lot of people today that needs to be overturned. Amen? What table does Jesus want to overturn in your life? Maybe, maybe he wants to flip over a table of personal hurt. Maybe there's, there's an, an attitude that you have right now towards your spouse or bitterness or an unforgiving spirit that's kind of turned your temple toxic that God's like, it's time. We're going to get all that junk out of you, that religious spirit that makes you judge everybody else. Or maybe God wants to cleanse your table of a porn addiction or some other pollution in your mind. Or, and, and I'm talking about ripping up the roots of that stronghold, not treating the surface symptoms, but replacing with a newfound freedom. I don't know what it is for you, but it's time to turn over some tables. What tables might God be trying to overturn in your life over the next eight weeks? And I ask that personally because Jesus didn't just flip the tables in the temple. You know something? He flipped the definition of the temple itself. You might not know this, but in the temple, in the Bible, the temple actually has three meanings. I told you the first one, you get it. The Old Testament temple is the physical building. 586 BC, it was built in the center of Jerusalem where the Jews went to worship. The old temple was built there. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And the religious leaders thought he meant the building, but Jesus, he's like, I'm talking about my body. I'm going to be raised to life three days after my death on a cross. He said, I'm the new temple. If you want to get to the Father, you got to come through me. So Jesus didn't just flip tables. He flipped the definition of the temple. But after Jesus returned to heaven, he flipped it again. Think about this. After Jesus left earth, where does the Spirit of God dwell today? Right now, 2021. What's the new temple? Answer, you. <laughs> There's now a new dwelling place for the Spirit of God the heart of every believer. In other words, you're the new temple. 15 years after Jesus, the apostle Paul wrote a letter to a bunch of Corinthians uh, Christians. And they were, they were a church that was a mess, okay? This church was polluted. People were involved in immorality. Paul wanted them to grasp this new reality. And so he wrote these words. He says, don't you realize your body is the what? Say it together, church. The temple of the Holy Spirit who lives where? In you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you got to honor God with your body. In other words, you and I are the new temple of God. This is now the dwelling place for God's spirit inside of you. Can you do you know that? Or is your temple so cluttered you have no idea? 
See, Jesus didn't just flip tables. He flipped the definition of the temple itself, which makes me ask this. What tables maybe need to be flipped in your temple? What, what distractions need to be driven out of, of your life this fall? When you, when you kind of look at all the things that you have, the, the calendar, what are those things that are getting in the way of you deepening your relationship with Christ? Because I'm just telling you, just like Jesus went to Jerusalem and cleaned house, he wants to go in the temple of your house and remove anything that's getting in the way of deeper intimacy with him. He wants to purify you. He wants to clean the house of your heart. Can I get personal? I'll tell you about a couple tables that Jesus overturned in my life this past year. It's about, um, about a year and a half ago. It was right before the pandemic, actually. God turned over a table in my life that was pretty painful. It was not last September, September before that. Two Septembers ago, um, I released a book, and my schedule just kind of went into overdrive. I am a classic Enneagram 3, <laughs> taking on more than my schedule can sanely handle. But I'm like, I want to be a team player, and I'll do whatever they need me to do. And so I got so busy with this book tour that the publisher wanted me to kind of put together. He's like, we're going to travel there and here and go speak there and fly to Colorado and go over to California and do interviews. And, and at the height of it, I remember this was not good. I had to record 12 podcasts in two weeks. It was, it was crazy. It was, it was exciting if you like adrenaline, but it was deeply damaging to my soul. <laughs> Confession, I'm a chronic overworker. I actually like being busy. I also like helping people, busy and helping. And that can become a toxic combo if it goes unchecked. And so that fall, I actually found myself cutting corners to make up for no margin my schedule. I started skimming on my relationship with God. I read the Bible, but you know what? Instead of doing devotions, I'll do devotions, but it'll also help for my message prep. So I'm going to read the Bible to get something out of it instead of letting the Bible read me. And I neglected some key relationships. My family missed me. When I was home, I was, I was there, but I was often angry and impatient. I was living, but you know what I'm talking about? Not living well. My prayer life kind of dried up, and I started feeling anxious. I didn't actually sleep well. And then in February... I started having chest pains that sent me to the ER. I'm like, this is not good. Talk about flipping over some tables in my life. By the way, everything's checked out okay. <laughs> You're like, it's probably a combination of too much stress, cortisol, and acid reflux. <laughs> and just when I thought, all right, well, okay, I'm, I'll make some changes. I think I'm past the, the tough stuff. God flipped over another table in my face. There was a conflict at work that I actually had to lead our staff through. And just as we got over that, the lay at the end of the tunnel, it's almost spring, it's Easter 2020, a little thing called COVID hit. Whammo! Third table flipped there right into my face, and I realized, God, you got my attention. Something needs to change. And that's when Pete Scazzaro reached out and, and invited me to take the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course with him online. And that was a wake-up call. Because for eight weeks, it was just a small group of pastors we dove deep under the surface of things, under the iceberg of our inner lives, and I had to ask hard questions like, why was I so driven? Why is it, what, what's driving me? What, what lies am I believing that, that would actually cause me to neglect my relationship with God for busyness for God? Like the people in the temple. I, I traded in a firsthand transformational, tender relationship with Jesus for transactional religion. I did all the right things. I went to church. I preached the Bible, recorded a podcast, check, check, check. My heart was checked out. And I had a big realization. My doing for God far outpaced my being with God. And so I felt God's spirit saying to me, Tim, what, what are you trying to prove? Like what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul. Bro, you need to slow down. Take a look under the iceberg. 
And so in his mercy, God used EHS to overturn the table of distraction in my life. That's what the table was. It was a, an overcrowded, cluttered calendar that just crowded out true intimacy with Jesus and, made, and, and, and said, I want you to clear space so that we can just kind of get back to basics and reestablish rhythms, Tim, that are actually just healthy and sustainable and life-giving. That's what I want for you. Guys, over the next eight weeks, if you will clear space in your calendar to go through EHS, God is going to teach you some amazing things. We're going to teach you how to slow down to make room for silence and stillness so you can actually commune and hear from Jesus. We're going to teach you how to meditate on Scripture and use the daily office, this daily devotion we use twice a day, where you don't just read the Bible, you let the Bible read you. We're going to help you understand how your family of origin affects you today. A lot of times we have these relational patterns that are shaped in childhood, and we never inspect them, but they need to change if we're going to mature in the new family of Jesus. I learned how to handle conflict in an emotionally healthy way without actually being adversarial. Do you have a problem? (laughs) It's a very helpful tool for dealing with difficult people in your life. And you'll learn what's behind some of those difficult emotions that guys like me have a hard time processing. Things like anger, things like sadness. Why do I get so angry? Why am I depressed? And how God actually is often speaking to us through grief and loss. Most churches don't talk about loss and suffering, even though Jesus said, it's one of the primary ways you will grow in Christ-likeness. I can tell you from personal experience, I kind of cleared out the clutter in my temple and began establishing Sabbath rhythms and began living within my limits. My leaves started turning green again. The hardness in my heart began to soften. And more important, my wife and kids got an emotionally healthy husband and father back because I invested time to clean out my temple and brought a healthier, more contemplative style of leadership to our staff. You can ask them about it. In fact, EHS was so pivotal in deepening my own journey with Jesus, I I taught it to our leaders the following fall. All our pastors, our our lead team, the board of trustees, we went through EHS. Then in the spring, I taught a second time to our staff and a small group of leaders of every campus to kind of get them prepared for, for this moment. And now this fall, we want to share it with you. But I need to tell you, EHS is not a typical small group experience. This is a deeper discipleship course with live teaching, and there's homework. you got to put in a little elbow grease. Every week, you'll actually read a chapter in this book, and then you'll do daily devotions, culminating with a Bible study with live teaching each week. Now, I believe in this so much that I'm personally investing the time to do a lot of the live teaching during the week over Zoom as well as some of our other senior leaders. So I want you to know this. We are all in, and we want to invite you to join us. In a few minutes, your campus leader is going to dismiss you out to the lobby where you can browse the small groups available at your campus and find the best fit for you. I need you to know we've got groups from every age and stage, young adults, college, women, married, married couples. We we even have groups in Espanol. Isn't that awesome? Praise God for you. (laughs) See. Some groups meet online over Zoom. Others meet in person. And there's something for everyone, even church online. Church online, you can view all the open groups at liquidgroups.com. And don't worry. Whether you meet virtually or in person, our group leaders made it super simple to join in. I'm so thankful for them. So today, don't worry about details. Just keep it simple. Just focus on getting your EHS books and sign up for a small group because it starts next Sunday. Guys, community is essential. 
to your discipleship to Jesus. You've got to clear the clutter in your calendar so you can grow deeper in Christ. If you're like me, as Jesus was like, man, Tim, there's a lot of things you could talk about today. A lot of tables that need overturning in this church. But I felt like the Holy Spirit saying, no, it's the table of distraction for most of us that needs to overturn this fall. Like me, maybe during the pandemic, you, you drifted in some bad habits and maybe you skimmed on your relationship with this jealous God. Jesus is jealous. He's zealous for you. He's in hot pursuit of your heart. He doesn't want to be crowded out to the fringes of your life like some add-on. He wants to be front and center in the temple of your heart today. So whatever is threatening to get in the way of you and Jesus for these next eight weeks, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's an overcrowded calendar. Maybe it's travel sports. Maybe it's a busy schedule. Maybe it's just being glued to our screens. We got video games, Netflix, social media. We are so distracted. We are addicted. I'm just pleading with you. Let Jesus flip over your table this fall. One season, eight weeks. Because the Holy Spirit has new things to teach you, to show you in your heart, but you've got to slow down and create room to commune with Jesus who gave his life to love you. Amen? Let me pray over you right now, and then your campus pastor is going to give local instructions for dismissal. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us through this incredible word from God. Jesus, I thank you. I am in awe of you, Jesus. I'm sorry that I often see you as one-dimensional, and today, Lord, we just, we feel your passion. I pray that every man and woman under the sound of my voice would feel the love of Jesus just radiating towards them. You are in hot pursuit of our hearts, and there's more. There's more for every one of us. And so, Father God, as we head out to Group Sunday and we meet small group leaders and pick up books, Father, would you divinely appoint and connect people to groups that will transform their heart this fall? Father, we commit this entire emotionally healthy spirituality experience to you. More than anything, Lord, we just want a clean temple in our heart where your Holy Spirit can dwell. We want the love of that to flow out to others. So do the work, Lord. We're open. We are available. I pray that in Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. Now your campus pastor will give you instructions. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.